good morning again. I didn't formally introduce myself when I came up. So my name is Alex Barrett and I'm the campus pastor uh, here at a church in the valley. And uh, we are going to be launching a new series today called TikTok. And uh, it's about time. Who would have thought? And so we're going to be talking about how to make the most uh, of our time uh, in our life and how to do that, not just really through like time management principles. Those can be helpful, but we're going to be looking at perspective found in the scriptures on how do you actually gauge whether you're maximizing your time for that, the right things. Uh, we've been tracking time for, for centuries. I did some research on, on this, and you can go back hundreds and hundreds of years to people who wanted to figure out ways so they could know uh, how time is passing. And here's some pictures that I found on uh, the Internet. This is an old candle clock. And they just kind of measured it by how long the candle burned. And as it went down, they could kind of track time that way. There's a sundial that they could track time based on the position of the sun. Hourglass uh, image, uh, when it you know empties out, they know an hour has passed. Uh, through technology, we've, we've moved a lot you know, past this. I mean, you may see one of these in like an old board game. Anyone have one of these back in the day? Like... Technology shifted. I mean, it went from like, let's have sand that gauges an hour to a person that says, hey, when I go to the store, I want to be able to know what time it is and calculate how much those bananas are going to be. Okay. now this next one is something that's really important to me personally. In 1988, I was given a world time watch from my parents because it wasn't just enough for me to know what time it is here. I wanted to know with one push of the button, what time it was in Singapore. And I remember I received this watch and up the top right, you can see that little like earth with the line. And as you press the button, the line shifted and it would give you the different time zones. It was like amazing. It was like one of the coolest things ever. If they had to come back, I may be the first to buy it. Okay. Uh, these have even gone further today. We have Apple watches, which, I mean, if you want a picture of a jellyfish on your watch, you can't, but an Apple watch, I mean, it like does everything. It seems like it knows what you're thinking before you know what you're thinking. Uh, there's also apps like this, like a timely calendar where you can have the different things that it can attract the amount of time that you're going to be spending. And so you can see, okay, how much time do I need to spend in a given week on certain projects? And it can be related to work, it can be related to, to home life. And, it, you know, we just thrive on clocks and stopwatches and measuring you know, what we do and, and how we do it in an app. And these things, technology are, are really helpful, but it doesn't necessarily tell us. It's not programmed to tell us if we're actually spending times on the right things or not. It can show us how much time we're spending, but we want to know, are we actually spending our time on the right things? And thankfully, as you relate to God and as you dig into the scriptures, it actually opens up a world to you where you can gauge the measure of your time based on what is important from God's uh, perspective. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks, looking as the clock is ticking and it's tick talking. How do we determine if we're making the most of the time that we've been given? And the Christian perspective of this and like the biblical worldview is life is a gift from God. And every breath that we have and every morning we wake up, it's it's a new opportunity to discover why God gave us this life for this day and how do we make the most of it? And so throughout the, the next 
four weeks, we're going to be digging in the scriptures, kind of pull out what, what God has to say about our time, how to make the most of it. And then we're going to look at the lives of people in the scriptures who made the most of the time that they were given. And so I want to start with this kind of big principle that covers kind of all the weeks that we're going to be talking about. And that is we make the most of our time by serving God's purpose on earth. That's really the, the premise in the scriptures. The truth of that is it doesn't matter how much you track your time. If you think that you make the most of your time and you never over in certain areas of your life and everything is neat and orderly. If you're not living for God's purposes, according to a biblical perspective, you're actually not making the most of your time, even if you're the most efficient person ever. Because the best use of time is not just, am I doing everything according to my calendar, but am I doing actually the things that God wants me to do? And the things that God wants me to do show up in my calendar and therefore show up in my life. And I want to start with a passage that, that gives some perspective on two approaches to this idea of time. And it's found in Ephesians 5, and you can see it up here on the screen. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I'm going to stop right there. The, the, the idea of look carefully how you walk, it's not saying use your time by looking down at your feet. Okay, you're going to run into stuff. But this idea of look how you walk is talking about life. And life is this picture of you're walking along and as you're walking along, time is is going and time never stops. And so look carefully at how life is going, how the time is ticking. And then there's two approaches, not as unwise, but as wise. And so you see, there's this two ways that you can approach the life ticking. And that's wisely or, or unwisely. And it says making the best use of the time because the day's are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So this making the best use of the time in other translations in the Bible, there's a phrase that says making the most of the opportunities and opportunities in the scriptures are translated time. So it's not just like, well, it's 1105 and Lord willing, this service will be over in about 30 minutes. We track by time, but the way God tracks time is in the 30 minutes that we have, what are the opportunities that God wants to bring our way that we can make the most of? So it's not just the minutes and it's not just the hours. It's what's happening and how can we make the most of what's happening around us? So it means that we need to have eyes to see. In the scriptures, there's two different eyes that we can have. Things that look wisely or ways that we can look that are unwise. And so I want to just kind of differentiate between uh, the two of those to walk wisely means that we realize that our time is short and once it's here and then it's gone, like you never get it back. Okay. It's, it's short. And so making the most of it means don't live life without thinking. Don't live life haphazardly thinking that you can just do whatever you want in the moment and everything will work out. Actually, that may not be the best use of your time. You need to actually find out what good does God wants you to do in the moments that you find yourself. And so we, we measure that whether we're effective with our time based on the opportunities that, that we buy up. Are these the opportunities that, that God brings? Are there opportunities that we're buying up to, to love the people around us? Are there opportunities that we're buying up to learn? Are there opportunities that we're buying up to serve? Are there opportunities that we're buying up to spend time with God himself, to, to know him better so we can know his will and we can do his will? That's actually how you can measure time by opportunities. So knowing his will and how he wants us to live that's the wise approach. 
That doesn't happen automatically. You can't have an app that programs that on your phone or on your watch. You actually have to take time to know God and how he wants us to live. But as you do that over time, you see the opportunities that he brings that he wants you to to buy up, to take hold of, to put your hands around and have a grip on. Now, the unwise approach is just to live life without thinking. You just let it you, you let it happen. What happens over time if you live this way without thinking about your life and you just let it go? At the end of your life, you actually are filled with regret from missed opportunities. Something that you can see again and again is when people get to the end of their life, oftentimes they're at one of two places. They look back and are thankful for the opportunities that they've been given. And those are the things in the end that really mattered. Or they look back with regret, wishing that they had made the most of the opportunities that they just passed. They just passed by. Um, There's also if we live haphazardly, we have stress in our life because we drop our responsibilities. Just living in the moment, just kind of following our heart, following our dreams Sounds great, but it actually means we can drop the things God wants us to take care of in our life, responsibilities. But as you take care of the responsibilities in a way that pleases God, you're making the most of the opportunities. Uh, There's also a a pull in us to chase the wrong things, to follow our desires, oftentimes, which is kind of fueled by selfishness. We want what we want. We think we deserve what we want, and we're going to do what we can to get it. That's, that's in all of us. That's, that's what sin is. So that pull to us kind of causes us sometimes to chase ambition, to chase success. And it's good to be successful. But you can chase success and ambition and be the most efficient person that miss the opportunities that God brings. And at the end of a phase of time or even at the end of life, you can have a lot of money. You can have some fancy titles. And you can have a lot of success. But you can actually be empty. And that's this biblical perspective that the effective use of time is making the most of the opportunities. And we either do that in a wise way or we do that in an unwise way. And the unwise way is living with what I'm going to call over the next few weeks as life wasters. We kind of focus a lot on time wasters. But if you look at the things that waste our time, if we're consumed by them enough, it actually causes us to waste our life. And so the the key kind of time waster translated into life waste that I want to talk about today is is fear. Okay. now, what does that have to do with time? So I was thinking about this in my own life. I battle fear. There's fear of the unknown. There's the fear of things that I'm not sure how are going to turn out. There's fear for wanting the things that I want, but not sure if I'm ever going to get them. And that's just that feeling of what if I'm kind of empty and longing for things that I can't get and. What fear does is it causes us to focus on what we don't have. And as we focus on what we don't have, it actually wastes a lot of time. So I want to turn the corner and talk about how to overcome this this idea of fear that just kind of drains the opportunities and the time out of our life. And so what I want to do is, is I want to encourage you right now, as I'm talking about time, I want you to think in your own life this past week, maybe this past weekend, Have you spent any of your time worried about something? Okay. Have you spent any of this past week or weekend worrying about something? Have you spent any time in in fear as you thought about that worry? If you have, I just want you to kind of think about that and just gauge really quickly. How, How much time do you think 
you might have spent this past week worrying about something or worrying about a few things. Just think about that for a few seconds. The reason I have you do that is, have you ever been driving somewhere or walking somewhere and you're just consumed by your thoughts and you get somewhere and you think like, how did, how did I even get here? And how has how 30 minutes passed and, I, and I've just been inside my head? That, that happens a lot. And it happens a lot in this area of, of fear, in this area of, of worry. We can be consumed by these things and it, it causes us to actually waste the opportunities that God brings. So fear... Uh, keeps us from serving God's purpose. So if our effective use of time is serving God's purpose, fear is one of the major life wasters that we can experience. And I want to talk about today, actually, a, a biblical character who we can learn a lot from, not just how she did it the right way, but also from her mistakes. And we're going to be looking at the biblical character of Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham in the Old Testament of the Bible. Sarah Like actually many biblical characters and like many of us, she battled fear. Uh, She battled a lot of fear of the unknown. And I just kind of want to walk through the different things that happened in her life and her husband's life uh, so we can learn what she did in response to fear and how God blessed her even in the midst of, of the unknown. And so we can spend ourselves, just like the biblical character we're going to look at, Sarah, we can spend so much time worrying we can spend so much time panicking about things. We can spend a lot of times running scenarios. Have you ever looked at something in your life and you don't know how it's going to turn out? And then you come up with the five different ways it could turn out and you just kind of go down each of those paths. That takes a lot of time. But isn't it crazy if you don't know how the first thing's going to turn out? It's like a choose your own adventure, but we have no idea what's going to happen. But man, we can just get in our head and we can just, well, if I do that and then you do that, then how am I going to react? What if I react wrongly? Then that happens. Right? That's the, the thinking, the scenarios, the time ticking, the jigga That's what happens in my head. And oftentimes I look at just how that just comes from the unknown. And the unknown is unknown. It can't be known at this present time, but we can spend so much time wasted on those things that most of the time are driven by fear. And so I want to talk about the story of Abraham and Sarah because they were actually promised to be a blessing to the nation of Israel and to the entire world. God chose Abraham and Sarah to kind of become God's people and out of them God's people would be would be formed. And so God makes these promises to Abraham and Sarah not knowing how things would turn out. And this is kind of where you could begin to see how the fear could kind of creep in. And Abraham kind of comes into the scene uh, in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And if you've heard of the story of Noah and the ark and the great flood, uh, Abraham came about 292 years after God spared Noah and his family through the ark. And so history has kind of gone on. People are trying to figure out we're here on this earth. How do we live in a way that pleases God? Abraham enters the scene and a promise is made to Abraham. That his family will be blessed. And I want to pick this up in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And it says this. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. 
and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a kind of an exciting promise from God himself to Abraham. And you'd think that through this, they, they have this, this vision of, wow, our, our life is going to be blessed. Did you hear how many times God mentioned blessing us? And we're going to be blessed. We're going to bless others. It's going to be like just this one big blessing. And how exciting that must be for them. But what you don't realize, if you've not read the story before, is, is this talking about the multiplication of their family. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, is barren. She's never been able to have kids. And Abraham, they have no kids. And so this story is unfolding of how they're going to be a blessing. Their name will be blessed. The nation will come out of their family. And here's a couple who are not just barren and can't have kids, but they're actually older beyond the childbearing years. Abraham at the time of this is 75 years old. Sarah is 65. Now for all you moms... How would you think about starting motherhood at 65? Kind of crazy, right? So when you hear this, it's like, wow, it's one big blessing. But also you can kind of see in between the lines and as you read the different narrative of the story that they have no idea how this is going to work or how this is going to look. But God kept giving this them this promise and they, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And uh, Genesis 13, 16, God goes on and is even more specific. It says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So you're going to have kids. See all the dust that's in your little hut right now? They're nomads. They know what dust is like. They're just wondering. They're following God where he's leading them. They know what dust is like. They don't have a brick and mortar house. There's dust everywhere. And he's like, see all that dust? That's going to be like the number of your offspring. And in this account, as you read numerous times, Sarah laughs if you've read the story. And it's just a funny picture. And I don't know how snarky it is. I mean, you've got to be really careful, you know, when God tells you something, you laugh. But it's kind of like God, like, I'm old and I'm barren. You know this from your hand. I'm barren. You haven't allowed me to have kids. You're talking about all this dust and offspring. But remember who we are. And there's just this kind of like, okay, God. Thank you for this promise and this assurance, but we have no idea how, how this is, is going to happen. And so Abraham, like a good man, is think, figuring out how to fix this problem. And so he's thinking, OK, maybe it's not going to be a direct heir. Maybe one of the servants that we have, uh, God will kind of make him the heir and the offspring will flow from there. And so he's he's trying to fix it. He's trying to be like a good husband as Sarah's laughing and stressing out and fearful all in one. It's like laugh or, or you're going to cry. Right. Abraham's like, well, maybe, maybe the servant will be the heir. And so he tells God, like, you know, God, when you said you're going to make our name great and our offspring will come from us, what about a servant? Maybe that's how you're going to work it out. And so he's coming up with his own plans of how God's going to fulfill his own promise. We do that a lot with God. God, I know that you've told me to do this, but what I think is you mean this. You know, what I've learned about God, like he actually knows every time what he wants. And it makes complete sense to God. But sometimes it's so frustrating because I have no idea what he means or thinks in the moment because that's all I can see is right here and right now. And so God answers Abraham in Genesis 15. And he says this, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This plan that you think that that's not going to happen. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
So, you know, Abraham's like, I know that makes sense. Like my son is going to be my heir, but we're not, we're not seeing it. And we don't know exactly all that's happening behind the scenes, but you can imagine the conversations each night between Sarah and Abraham. Wow. We're going to be a blessing, but we're still barren. We're going to be a blessing, but time is passing. We're not getting any younger. And he bought him, brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. So he went from the dust analogy. Now he wants to give him an even greater vision. Let's kind of get away from the dirt. Let's look at the stars in the sky. And he takes them out. Number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so this is all happening in their story. They've been given the promise of God and they have no idea how it's going to turn out. And God assures them and he gives more promises. No, I, I haven't misspoken. I haven't miscalculated. I have a plan that I want to work through your life, through your marriage, through your name. And you don't know how it's going to work out. And this fear that they faced is what I want to refer to as fear in the waiting room of life. And that is there's things that we really want in our life. And we experience so much fear because we're in the waiting room like we can't see it yet. We're waiting for something to happen that hasn't happened. If you've ever been to the waiting room in a hospital or emergency room, it's actually a really intense and scary place to be. A few years ago, my mom had a reoccurrence of breast cancer. She had major surgery. And I remember being in the waiting room of that hospital, not knowing what was going to happen on the other side of that surgery. There's so much fear in the waiting in a medical situation like that. But we face so much of that waiting room fear. And that waiting room fear is there's things that we want and hope and even long for that we don't know if it's going to ever happen. And so the question is in the waiting room, am I going to trust God that he's going to do right by me? And he's going to work things out for my good. And Sarah, at her point in the story, in the waiting room, beyond the laughing and beyond all the stuff, she, she decided to come up with her own strategy. Just like Abraham thought maybe it was going to come from a servant, little did he know that, that Sarah actually had a strategy for bringing the offspring to her husband, Abraham. And he had a servant, they had a servant named Hagar, who's an Egyptian. She decided, since I'm barren, God's promised us offspring, but since I'm barren, maybe the child just needs to come through this servant. So she set up this up. So Abraham would have a child with Hagar and she became pregnant. And in the fear that Sarah experienced in the unknown and in the waiting room, she came up with her own strategy. And this is really a warning to all of us in the midst of the fear as we're chasing those rabbits of panic and scenarios and unknown we can lose sight of God's promise and we can begin to think, how can we work things out to get what we want? We all can do that. How can we work things out to get what we want? And Sarah did that. The reason I share that is, is not to, to blame Sarah. Sarah did actually what becomes natural to all of us. We are going to work things out so we get what we want, even if it wasn't ideal. And she panicked and she gave into fear. And she came up with her own strategy to do what she thinks she needed to do based on the promises of God. So in the waiting, in the fear, she moved out of the waiting and took action. But she didn't do it under the direction or the blessing of God. Now, for us, 
Uh, we, we are in our own waiting rooms. For her, it was this having kids, being able to become a mother, being able to fulfill this, this purpose and promise that God had given them. How would this happen if she's barren? But for us, it, it can look different. Uh, you might be just longing for a husband or wife yourself, and that's your waiting room. Like on this side, you don't see how it would ever happen. But that's something that you'd really long for. Uh, it could be that you're waiting for a child like, like Sarah is, and they're just you're desperate that, that God will, will come through. It could be that, that you have an illness or a sickness yourself, and you're in the waiting room of, of healing, like God has not healed you yet. And you're battling under the pressure of, is this going to be what I face the rest of my life? The waiting room is sometimes, I need a job, I need to be able to fi- financially support myself or my family, but I don't have that yet, and you're in the waiting room of that could be just a difficult scenario in a relationship where you're just in the waiting room of things not being worked out yet. There's conflict, there's misunderstanding, and you've done all that you can do, but there's conflict and there's turmoil. And you're in the waiting room of reconciliation. And all these things, God wants us to trust in him. And in all these things, there's opportunities for us to make the most of the opportunity to trust him in a new way. Because if you trust God in the waiting room before you've gotten everything that you want, your faith and the growth you can experience can accelerate so much faster than when life is just coming to you as you hope. And that's the truth. All the people that I've related to in my life, I can look at periods in life in the waiting for themselves where God has come through over time. And sometimes it's not even giving them exactly what they wanted, but it's just in the midst of the unknown, choosing, I'm going to do what God wants me to do right here and right now. And I'm going to keep doing that until he leads me into the next step of his will. Now, the story with, with Sarah doesn't, doesn't end. In Genesis chapter 21, she actually was blessed with a child. And God granted them a child, and, and through Abraham and Sarah and their, their faithfulness, even despite the mistakes and even despite some of the fear that they caved into, the scenarios that they created, God used them, and, and through them, the nation of Israel came to be. And to this day, there's blessing because of their faithfulness. So in the waiting room, even despite mistakes, even despite the fear that we experience, God Uh, still works. And that kind of idea is that God works through us as we choose faith in him in the midst of fear and waiting. Uh, There's two accounts of Abraham and Sarah, how how they trusted God. Genesis 15, it says about Abraham, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted it to him as righteousness. There's this idea of Abraham believed that what God said was going to come true. God had promised, and since God had promised, he was going to do what he had promised. He didn't know how it was going to work out. And then in Hebrews 11, 11, we get a picture of Sarah. This is in the New Testament. So this is kind of the legacy of her faith. This is, you know, thousands of years later, you, you, you see this, the story of Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So despite the fear, she got to a point 
where she trusted God and she considered him, God, faithful to what he had promised. That was what she relied on. That was what she put her hope in, in God and his promise in the midst of the unknown. That, that word there, uh, since she considered him faithful, uh, is a word that's translated to, to lead your thoughts somewhere. Uh, the implication is she would lead her mind to consider God faithful to his promises, even when her mind was like leading it somewhere else. Have, have you ever just, you know, told yourself, I, I need to stop thinking about that. And then as you, you say that, what do you think about the very thing that you're not wanting to think about? Right. Stop worrying about work. And then you're just having this like little conversation. But, but as I'm telling myself not to worry, I just think of all the stuff I got to figure out. and I'm worried about it. Stop worrying about your kids. What? Uh, uh, but it, and it's this battle. And this, this is kind of the description here. She considered it. It sounds like just a general word. Like I thought about it. But it's, it's, she battled in her mind to lead the thoughts to the truth of what God has promised. He said that he would bless us. He said that we would have offspring. He said that he would make this happen. He said Despite me being barren, this will come about. He said, despite my old age, this will happen. He said, despite us being nomads and living in tents and not knowing how any of this will work out. He said, and because he said, I can trust them. And that's what the relationship with God looks like. To make the most of our time on this earth, you have to have this growing relationship where you trust God and what he's told you. To the point that even when things have not worked out, And even when you don't have exactly what you want, you know God is going to do right. And he's going to continue to lead you. This story and making the most of the time is this picture of in the waiting and the fear that comes, I can battle to be reminded of the truth of the promises of God. So I want to encourage you. If you don't know the promises of God, you can discover it by reading the Bible for yourself. On a Sunday morning, you get some scriptures and you can learn more about it, but you can gain so much more by spending regular time with God in the Bible, the scriptures. Allow him to speak to you. And as he speaks to you, the promises that were given to people thousands of years ago, he gives to us. And we can claim those promises as God's children. If you're not yet a Christ follower, you can still read the Bible and begin to get a picture of what does God want from me? What is it that I'm supposed to do with my life? And that can help you make a decision. Is this the direction that you want your life to go? I would encourage you to take the time to consider that. Because as we're talking about time, if time is the best measured by serving God and his purposes, then you don't want to waste any more time just living for yourself. You can tap into his plan for you and your life can begin to blossom even in the midst of the fear and the waiting. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Each week I have next steps, and this morning they're completely blank. It wasn't because I couldn't think of any. Sometimes I've been tempted to do that. But it was really that I don't know what your waiting room is. I don't. I don't know what your fears are. I could take a guess because I have my own. And we're probably similar. But I want to encourage you to kind of just take a moment right now. What are the fears that you're facing? What's the things that are worrying you? 
And how is that kind of taking you down a path that's not helpful in terms of what you're doing with your time? So you may just want to jot that down. God, I need help with this area. You just write that area in the first line. The second line could be, what is it that that you need to do? Are there certain promises that you need to to learn more about? Are there certain, you know, things that that God's promised you just I need to know God's promises about my future. I need God God's promise about a relationship. I need to know God's promises about fear. I need to know God's promise about provision. If you'd like to know God's promises about a certain area, you can write that on the second line and you can begin to do homework. If you don't know where to start, Church in the Valley, we would love to help you get into the Bible to read it for yourself. And so if you make a note on the lines at the bottom, like I'd like to learn more promises about a certain area, please let us know. And we'll get back to you this next week to just give you just a picture of what the scriptures say about a specific area. We want, we want to help you. If it's a battle, you have to battle the wrong thoughts of fear with the right thoughts of the truth. And you have to know what the truth says. And so we, we want to help you discover, discover that. And so uh, you can kind of think through that. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to uh, pray for us. And then... In a, in a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. You can drop that completed uh, connection card in there. Let, let me pray. God, thank you so much for the story of Sarah and of Abraham and the lessons that we can learn about faith in the midst of waiting and faith in the midst of fear and the unknown. We face so many things that we don't know. And God, it can be so overwhelming But God, help us to become people that in the midst of that, we can learn your promises, we can claim those promises, and we can fight to believe them. And I pray for anyone right now who's just overwhelmed by fear. God, by the power of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray for strength and I pray for courage in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that they won't be debilitated or sidetracked or overwhelmed by fear. And I pray for a spirit of peace from your Holy Spirit, to come upon them. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.